Good morning and welcome to the Boxing Day service 2021 of Living Word Bible Church here in Hope Valley. I'm sitting just outside the sports hall that, that we meet every Sunday at 10am. It's quiet here this morning because everyone's at home. Maybe some are still asleep. We don't have a, a live service today and hence this uh, recorded service that I'm doing here at the school on Boxing Day morning and you should be getting it within half an hour or so of me concluding the message. Uh, just because it's me by myself, uh, there won't be any singing. You wouldn't want to hear me singing. Uh, that's one thing I can't do very well at all. Uh, so it'll just be the Bible message that I want to share with you. And uh, I hope uh, that God speaks to you through it. Uh, it is a title for the message this morning. It's hope. Hope, just simply that word. Uh, Christmas is all about hope. And that's what I want to look at with you for a few moments now. The story of Jesus, as you'll be familiar, uh, his entrance to our world, uh, really begins in Luke, the Gospel of Luke. I'll be looking at with you this morning uh, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, and just really getting almost everything, or most of what we're saying this morning, from uh, the gospel so it begins really in Luke it's a bit windy out here so I'll just try and get the Bible to stay open where I'd like it to Luke 2 a popular Christmas passage I want to read it to you uh, of Jesus's entrance into our world in those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David. Because he belonged to the house of the line of David, he went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She named him, well, she didn't name him, she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room available for them. So it begins there in Bethlehem, a little town with all the expectation they would expect of someone whose birth and entrance into the world had been anticipated for hundreds, thousands of years. The Old Testament, uh, the Jewish Old Testament, was littered with prophecies about this coming Messiah who would come and transform the world. And so his birth began inconspicuously in this little town, but you'd expect that from that, there would be a great and mighty and powerful show and demonstration of his power and the turning upside down of the world and the establishment of his reign and, and the transformation of our universe. It's something that we've been looking at the last couple of weeks in our Sunday sermons. And yet what we discover is that Jesus' life ends three years after he, he begins his work. And it ends 
catastrophically. I want to just read to you, I can, if I can just get the Bible uh, to stay open. Oh, there you go, uh, on the right page. I'm going to take you to the end of Matthew's Gospel. And Jesus' life begins with all that expectation. Uh, there was visits from uh, an angelic realm to men on, on, in, on, on a hillside, on, in fields. And there were these, these intellectuals who traveled from afar to come and, and offer him some amazing um, gifts. And there's people who've waited for him who get to see the child and rejoice and talk about how this is the hope of Israel. It's all that expectation. And yet, just three years after he begins his work, which took a long time to begin, we read these incredible words, unbelievable words in Matthew, in Matthew 27. After the soldiers had mocked him, stripped him of his clothing, beat him, spat on him. We read that they led him away to crucify him. And as they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon and they forced him to carry Jesus' cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall, and after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him. Above him, they laid the charge. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. So a life that began with such promise and hope, the expectations of an entire nation ended just three years after he began his work in Jesus being publicly humiliated and executed. And so you're left with this question and history asks and it's right to ask, what of Jesus? What did he really accomplish? What did he leave behind? What has he done for all the hope that was invested in him? What was the legacy? What is the legacy of Jesus Christ of Nazareth? What is that? I want to look at that with you now, just for some moments. What are we left with? What did Jesus really do for us? And here, let me show you. It's 2,000 years on. It's Christmas 2021, yesterday at least. And after all the presents have been opened, for a few or many, what are we left with? And, and here's, here's where, where we are, I feel. Jesus left us with what he did. Jesus left us with hope. Now you might not think much of hope but you know hope is perhaps the greatest thing, the greatest asset that we have as human beings, as living creatures. It's the greatest commodity 
the best thing. If I could give you anything of any value today, and it's what I hope to do in this short message, it's to give you hope. Or rather, to transfer to you or present to you the hope that Jesus' ministry, his work, his short life, his very short life, just 33 years left for us. I want to suggest it's such a powerful thing, this hope that he left, that 2,021 years uh, down the line, and we're talking about him still, thinking about him still, celebrating his birth still. Jesus left us hope. Let me show you that now. Let me show you that. Look, first of all, I've just got a couple of headings there. Nothing will come up on the screen today because it's just me, a phone, a Bible, and the wind and some Aussie animals you may hear behind me. If you see me flee for my life, it's because there's a koala chasing me. <laughs> no, I don't suppose I'll be doing that. Mind you, they've got big claws, you know, but, but they're, they're, they're pretty friendly uh, creatures. So to begin with, here's how Jesus leaves us hope. He leaves hope for the lowly. We, we talked about his birth. Here's his birth. It's Luke chapter 2. Uh, and I'm just going to find it in the Bible. Uh, I haven't got all my notes on a little tablet today, so I've got to work through the Bible, so you'll have to bear uh, with me. So Luke 2, Luke 2, 8, we, we see how Jesus brings hope to the lowly. And so on, on his birth, there's an announcement, we're told, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night and an angel appeared to them and told them about Jesus's birth I know shepherds are reasonably respected uh, people in our in our world where we used to live in Wales uh, both South Wales and North Wales shepherding was popular we lived on a farm and we watched shepherding taking place and, and there was nothing lowly about shepherds uh, but back in this time, back in the day, shepherds, a shepherd was a lowly, lowly uh, occupation. Outcasts, they're regarded as smelly, not welcome to public life and worship in a typical way. They were mistrusted, all sorts of stigma attached to them. And the wonderful thing about Jesus' life, right at the inception, that we see with this announcement not to the king, not to King Herod, not to the Jewish elite, the Sanhedrin, but the lowly shepherds demonstrates that Jesus' ministry, beginning with an announcement to, to, to lowly shepherds, is that he gives hope that he has come for the lowly. You see, if shepherds can come to Jesus, then anyone can come to Jesus. And they do come. They come and, and, and they see him and they gather at the manger there and are the first witnesses of it. See, Jesus brings hope that he and his message is for the outcast, the socially outcast, the lowly, the despised, those who no one else has time for, those who people look over see overlook and and walk by and take little notice of jesus brings hope for the lowly 
Another thing we see that Jesus leaves behind in his legacy is that he breaks down the barriers of ethnicity and division. Our world is a vast place, but, but it's divided. East and West are terms we still use. And, and what we see in Jesus is wonderful. It's, there's an episode of it in Luke 13 here. And I just want to show you Luke 13. Jesus talks about a world where ethnicity is no longer an issue. Luke 13, 29, we're told that Jesus spoke to his disciples. And, and, he, and he says this to them. He says, people will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? This is what he said in his work and his ministry, that he envisages a time where there'll be no longer divide between people who are of the east and people who are of the west or north and south or, or whatever colour they are, wherever they were born. There's a passage in the New Testament that talks about when God will no longer see distinction either ethnically or, or, or in gender. Wherever we are, wherever our class, background, age, race, gender, Jesus leaves behind his life and work the hope that there will come a time when there will no longer be division over our ethnic, cultural, social, as we've said earlier, or gender. He comes to unite. The, the other thing we find in Jesus' ministry, the hope that he leaves behind, is he leaves us hope of the eradication of poverty. Of poverty. They were told in John 6, look, I know we don't appreciate food in the way that others may. Look, you know, I'm sure we ate a lot of food yesterday. <laughs> I did thanks to a couple of members in our church uh, who invited us over to share a Christmas meal, more like a, a, a Christmas feast. You know, we don't appreciate food because it's so readily available. And look, there's lots of food in our home and, and I've already had food this morning and I'm expecting some food later and more tonight and probably even some before I go to bed. But food in Israel, you know, when. 80-90% of your income goes on something, then that's a significant part of your life. In Israel, in this time, 80-90% of one's income wasn't spent on luxury item, but on food, on bread. Seriously. And so here's Jesus. It's in John 6, and you know the story, I'm sure. He feeds 20,000 men which means if you add uh, females and children who are there too, you know, you're talking probably a figure of about 20,000 people. Um, Jesus feeds all these people and then he says these incredible words to them. It's in John 6, uh, John 6, 33. There you go, on Boxing Day. Uh, there's still flights. <laughs> Yeah, even amidst COVID, there are planes flying. <laughs> this one just going up over my head. But here's John 6 and 35. Jesus feeds people, uh, these 20,000 crowd, with bread or fish and bread that he manufactures from, from almost nothing. He takes 
two loaves and uh, um, I can't think of the figure just now. It's in the taxi and I can't even find it. Uh, uh, he, he takes loaves and fish, okay? And he feeds this crowd. And then he says these words to them in John 6, 35. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Can you see what Jesus was saying? Bread was the greatest commodity of that time. Without it, you didn't live. You worked to earn money to buy bread. You, it's where almost all of your money went, apart from taxes. <laughs> we know something about that, don't we? And for Jesus to say, I am the bread of life. Can you say, he's saying to come to him eradicates all poverty. We will never in Jesus be in need. That's the hope he leaves behind, that he, he gives us the, the vision of a time where in Jesus there will never be hunger, never be poverty, never be want. It's him, in him. He is the source of it. The thing is about that passage is Jesus doesn't just talk about providing what we need, but saying he is the source of it. So Jesus, Jesus' legacy, he leaves us with the hope of the eradication of poverty. There's more. Jesus leaves us with the hope that we will no longer be held ransom by our environment. I don't know if you ever thought of it like that. Living in Australia, it gets pretty hot here, pretty hot in the summer. We're in the summer at the moment, it's possible temperatures may get to 40 and even over 40. Personally, I love that. <laughs> Seriously, it's just amazing to be warm. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, and, and it's just just wonderful. And not everyone's cup of tea, but it's lovely. Here's the thing. But those temperatures and beyond can be lethal. Seriously. And and the same with with with, with reverse temperatures of sub-zero temperatures. Boy, I know that can be lethal. <laughs> I've lived most of my life in that. And uh, hey, when you walk out of your house and and and, you, and your breath is almost freezing in front of you, your fingertips feel like they're going to drop off. <laughs> you realise extreme cold can be lethal. Storms. You know, we had the tsunami in 2004. Hey, we see in our news what the elements can do from volcanic eruptions to to tidal changes to temperature changes uh, where we've been warned constantly aren't we about global warming and the need to do something to to bring that to a to a halt or a slowdown hey we are if we're honest we're held to some degree ransom to the elements if there was a tsunami again of that proportion anyway within our facility we could be wiped out as a country and so we held ransom to our environment and here's Jesus here's what he does it's in it's in Mark 4 in several places actually in the gospel but, but one of the places we see Jesus 
demonstrate and it's incredible i cannot think of another religious leader who's ever claimed to have been documented uh, this, documented to to be able to do what jesus did in, the, in this sense and control the elements like this let me just find the passage here it is mark 4 starting in verse 35 jesus is on a lake and uh, on lake galilee and as typical of lake galilee you can at one time just have calm and then the next moment that there's there's a major uh, what's termed the squall when when there's a, a tempest and the sea is it is rising or the lake and there's massive waves and even experienced experienced fishermen could be in danger and that's exactly what's happening here the disciples are in a boat jesus is asleep they are they are panicking for their lives and trying to trying to navigate their way through this terrible storm as experienced fishermen assuming that they're going to die and they wake jesus up who strangely is asleep as we said and jesus gets up and watch what he does Watch his response to the elements. Jesus stands up. He rebukes the wind and the waves by these words. He says, quiet, be still. Not to the disciples, and maybe he said that to them. But he says to the waves, looking at the squall, he looks them in the eyes, as it were, the elements, and commands them, quiet be still and the waves and the wind were told okay even the wind and the waves obeyed and it was completely calm wow that's documented in these historical texts that are contained within the bible these gospels jesus controls or masters the elements uh, there's opposite all the episodes of this uh, the time when jesus actually walked on the surface of the lake he actually walked on the surface of it without sinking in fact he even at one stage empowered one of his disciples to do the same peter and can you see so what jesus is ministry does for us it gives us a window uh, of hope that there could be a time where we are no longer subject to the elements or when we don't fear deep water because we can stand on it well we don't fear storms because at a word they can be calm wow jesus leaves us with the hope of a time where, where we're no longer held to ransom by the elements. Jesus gives us hope. Here's a pertinent one. That all disease will be quashed. All disease stamped out, eliminated, cured, healed permanently here's look let me give you some examples of what jesus's ministry looked like mark in mark's gospel again mark 4 we were told there that jesus enters villages and 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 here's what it's like so 
Jesus enters a village and we're told that he heals all who come to him. He healed all who were in the village. He healed all their sicknesses and disease. Incredible. That Jesus can enter a village and everyone that comes to him. Can you imagine a doctor's practice where you turned up and you get healed rather than just a prescription? Can you imagine turning up to a doctor's surgery when everyone waiting in the queue knows that when they see the doctor, they won't walk away with some <laughs> drugs they have to buy and administer in the hope that something may change, but they will walk out regardless of whatever their illness is, healed. It's what Jesus did as he entered villages. It's what he demonstrated time and time again. There's an episode where, where in Luke 4 when, uh, when Jesus comes across Simon's mother-in-law with a fever. He heals the fever. What can Jesus do? What does Jesus' uh, life tell us about COVID? Hey, he can eradicate it. Not just suppress it. Not just give our bodies... A, a chance of fighting it but he can suppress it destroy it he can make us completely whole from it jesus eradicates fever jesus can eradicate we told in john 5 he heals a man with paralysis all his life lying on a bed unable to move he heals him and jesus is one of my favorite miracles jesus heals a man born blind which may well mean that he was born without eyeballs, without the faculty of sight. Jesus gives him sight. And we see every kind of illness conceivable. Jesus healing. What does Jesus' short life, his short work, his ministry leave us with? The hope of a time where illness is something you read in the annals of history. Hey, let me give you this hope going into 2022. Jesus' work, his life, speaks about a world and a time in his presence and his company, in his reign, where there is no longer COVID or any other illness, whatever guys it may come to us in. Because when COVID is over, no doubt, in the future of human existence, there'll be other, other viruses and illnesses and whatever else there may be. Jesus gives us hope of an end to all illness. There's more, and a couple more now. Jesus gives us hope of lasting fulfillment. Hey. If we're honest as humans, we all crave fulfillment. We seek it in so many different places, from wealth to relationships to commodities to that next great holiday. There's not a lot of that going on, is there, with COVID? But whatever it may be, we invest hope in so many things. A, a new car, a new vehicle, a new Christmas toy. And <laughs> our kids are pretty fulfilled just now, but come a couple of weeks that toy will lose its glimmer hey we all seek fulfillment and are often left disappointed aren't we 
Jesus encounters a woman at a well. It's in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, who who's disillusioned, never finding what she's looking for. Jesus encounters her and she's a Samaritan woman, an outcast, someone that Jews wouldn't normally relate to. Jesus makes time for her. He sends his disciples away on an errand and he speaks to her and we're told, look, it's a beautiful words. He's speaking to her and he knows the quest she's been on and the hunger that still resides in her heart. And he says these beautiful words to her. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. He's talking about the water of this world. Anything and everything this world has to offer. Whoever drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He envisages in him a time. This is his legacy. Where all hunger, not for food, but for, fil for fulfillment, satisfaction, lasting satisfaction, contentment, will finally be fulfilled in Jesus. He himself will be the source of what finally makes us be at ease. When we've gained that thing. You know what it's like in mountain climbers? I was watching a program about mountain climbers recently. You're forever taking a risk to climb that next mountain. Not never being quite satisfied with with their present accomplishment. Always looking for a bigger mountain. Always looking for, looking for a more complex mountain route. Always looking for a more dangerous path. And so, ultimately, in their quest for that ultimate sense of achievement and contentment lose their way, lose their lives never gaining what they were searching for Jesus speaks about in him receiving something from him, from his presence from his person, from being with him and in relationship with him where ultimately then and finally our thirst is quenched we're fulfilled satisfied contented everyone who drinks the water I give him says Jesus will never thirst Jesus leaves us with a hope of a world where there's no longer thirst but genuine fulfillment last but one Jesus' legacy is this. This is the hope he gives us. Okay, what is our greatest enemy? What is the thing that all humanity, the rich, the poor, the outcasts, and, and those who are in, the powerful fear, succumb to? Death. Death is the ultimate and final enemy. Jesus, you think 
the fact that he was crucified. We already, we've already said that his life began and 33 years later, he's crucified to death. You, you think that the last point that I could possibly draw from Jesus' life and ministry is hope in death. Come on. Jesus was killed. How can he possibly say that his legacy is hope in death? Hey, Jesus demonstrated during his life that he has the power even over death. In John 11, one of the most famous of Jesus' miracles, he, he, he encounters, comes to a village where a man has been dead for four days, a friend of his, okay, Lazarus, is now buried, his body decomposing in a tomb. Jesus comes up to the tomb, demands that they roll away the stone, even against the, uh, uh, the resistance of the family members who say, no, Jesus, not now. The body's decomposed, there'll be a stench. Jesus nevertheless instructs and commands them to move the stone away and then says these incredible words to a dead man, a man who'd been dead for, for four days, okay, in the full process, deep in the process of decomposition. And this is what he says to him. In a loud voice we're told, Lazarus. Lazarus, he calls his name, Lazarus, a dead man's name, Lazarus, come out. And a dead man, a dead man, walks out, comes out of his tomb, living, living. Jesus raises a dead man to life. He did this more than one occasion. There's an occasion when he goes into a village and a widow has lost her only son. Jesus touches his coffin, says, young man, I tell you, arise. And the dead man sits up. There's a time when Jesus goes to the house of a synagogue ruler whose daughter was ill. But by now, by the time Jesus gets there because of all the delays, the little girl dies and Jesus goes to her. And says, little girl, in Aramaic, the language that he spoke in that Jewish environment, little girl, talifaku, which means, little girl, arise, and a dead girl comes to life. Jesus gives humanity. His ministry leaves us with hope, the legacy of death, the final and ultimate enemy of humankind, of death itself being eradicated, quashed, eliminated, destroyed. Wow. Jesus leaves us with the hope that death itself will be stopped forever. Ultimately, he does that too, doesn't he? We know the story of Jesus' execution. After his death, three days later, he himself is resurrected and thereby demonstrates what will eventually be the realisation of all human beings and raising to life of all who have died. And just before I conclude... Jesus' greatest legacy, above really above anything I've said, of all that I've said, is that it gives us hope of sins 
forgiven. Hey, sins, we may not care much about our sins. Who cares? We may be thinking. What are sins? Sins are the things in whatever size and shape they are, however big or small, whatever colour, white or black, sins are the things that pull us at odds with our maker. Sins put a divide between us and our God. Sin makes us enemies of the being who created us. Sin severs our relationship with him. Ultimately, sin will separate us from God eternally, Jesus made clear. And yet the legacy of Jesus is that he came, his purpose, his chief purpose. And we know it's his chief purpose because at his birth, at his birth, I mean, if I just turn to Matthew, uh, Matthew, right at the beginning, I think it's Matthew 1, where Jesus' birth has been announced and, and we're told, we're told, we're told that, here it is, we're told that Jesus at his birth, this was announced about him, that you are to give him the name Jesus, if I can just find the verses, you are to give him the name Jesus, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus' greatest accomplishment, the greatest thing he brought us is the hope of sins being forgiven and of the restoration of our relationship to God. It's what his death did. Jesus' death. You see, at the end of his three-year work, his ministry, Jesus wasn't defeated. He wasn't silenced. We said already that he was resurrected. You see, his death, his death was purpose. It was, it was designed, it was within God's plan. And it's achieved for us. He tells us himself what he would achieve. What he would achieve. In Mark 10, 45, he says that the Son of Man must give his life as a ransom for many. He must die, we're told in John, for the sins of the world. Jesus' death pays the ransom, the price, the penalty for everything you and I have ever done wrong, sins, the offence that we've caused God. Later in the Bible, in the letters of the Bible, we're told how Jesus' sin, sorry, Jesus' death cleanses us from all sin. It expiates our sin. It's in a passage in, in, in one of the latter books of the Bible by the disciple John. It talks about Jesus, his death, cleansing us, expiating, removing our sins from us. Whatever we may have done, big or small, it's an offence to God and Jesus' death removes it, wipes it out, cleanses it, cancels it out, restores us access to God. It does more than just cancel our sin. You see, our sins offend God. It causes God wrath, God's wrath to rise and to be exhibited. Romans tells us that in our world we're experiencing God's wrath. And we're told in Romans 3 that Jesus' death propitiates God. In other words, it, it eliminates or it calms, it removes its language from pagans, the pagan sacrificial system where the gods 
wrath was propitiated by sacrifices. The Bible takes that language, not the imagery, but the language, and it tells us that Jesus' death appeases God's anger. It calms it. And therefore brings us back into relationship with him. It expiates our sins. It propitiates God. And we're told in the Bible, it transfers Jesus' righteousness to us. There's all that. That's what God looks upon us as though we were his righteous son, Jesus. Jesus leaves us with that greatest of all legacies. And so where does that leave us then? Where does that leave us? I need to close. I've spoken for a long time. I hope you're still listening. You hear, where does he leave us? When do we get all this? Or when is this a realisation? In, in what sense is this hope? Jesus is dead. He may have been risen again, but I can't see him today. How is this a legacy? How, is, how are all these things that I've talked about here? Where hope for the lowly. Ethnic barriers being broken down. Eradication of poverty. No longer being held ransom to the environment. Where disease is eradicated. Where there's lasting fulfilment but there's an end of death and where there's finally forgiveness for sins. Surely, surely that, that has no real bearing on life. I mean, it's, it's of no consequence, surely. When and when, in what context is this hope? Here's where it is. Here's where it is. Jesus leads his disciples, rises up to heaven, but we're told that angels, angels come and appear to the disciples and they say these words to them in Acts 1 verse 11. They say these words to the men of Galilee. Why do you look up into the sky? Jesus is gone, but, but he's been taken from you into heaven, but he will come back the same way. Descend from heaven, come back to the earth and then... Then, then, he will restart life. He will restart the earth. He will rejuvenate the earth. He will rejuvenate human bodies of all those who have believed in him and loved him, who have confessed their sins to him, have had their sins forgiven. He will, he will give them new life, new bodies, a new world. And in that world and in that environment, with Jesus, will experience no longer division and poverty and hunger and illness and death and separation from God. He will deal with it all. Here's what he says to his disciples himself. He said these words himself in John 14 before, before he left them. Before he left them. They could never understand it. But before he left them, he left them with this hope. John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled you believe in god believe also in me i am his son his representative okay in my father's house in the world that i'm going to make for you the new earth are many rooms it's a place that is vast if it were not so i would have told you i'm going to prepare a place for you ultimately this is talking about his death where he prepares a place for us in heaven and if i go and prepare a place for you i will come back and take you to be with me. Jesus is coming back. 
And it's then that his legacy of hope will be realized. That's what I want to leave you with now. That's my Christmas message on Boxing Day 2021 to you for 2022 and beyond. It's a message of hope. Don't lose hope. Don't give up. Don't give in. When I'm driving around here in Adelaide, uh, for, uh, for a while now I've been seeing these banners, uh, but it's Samaritan's Purse, I think, or some organisation, and it has on it the slogan, there is always hope. Hey, let me tell you from the Bible, from Jesus, there is hope. Don't lose hope. Whatever COVID is doing, whatever you're facing personally, whatever disease that you're struggling with, or whatever poverty that has, that has um, flavoured your life, however much you felt an outcast, however much you fear death, however unfulfilled you are, however divided from God you may be, whatever way you've been a victim to the elements, however you felt like an outcast, Jesus gives you hope of a world when he returns. Of when all these things are eradicated and you'll be with him forever in peace in fulfillment amen amen a belated merry christmas to you and looking forward a happy new year a one of hope and who knows, Jesus may return, what of hope realize.